Today's scripture is Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. When the Son of Man came, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Surely I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I need clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. He also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then you will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, you get two Sadlers today. You're lucky, lucky you. It's because we have no children around except for one, and so we're bored. So uh, <laughs> that's a joke. Yeah, thank you for laughing. Um, well, when I was a little girl, my family attended a local Baptist church, and it was a beautiful old building. My parents got married in the sanctuary there. My uh, grandparents had attended there for decades. It was just this wonderful community. And um, our Sunday morning services had a slightly similar rhythm to this, where the kids would start in service with the adults, and we would sing together, and then we would be dismissed to go to children's church. And similar to a lot of the kids here, as soon as they get the go-ahead, you know, I'd be resisting the urge to sprint down the aisleway through those double-wide white doors, down the blue uh, carpeted hallway, and into the basement classroom, where we would sit and hear stories about Jesus. And I remember we sat in rows in these little chairs, you know, little kid chairs, but the fifth graders, you know, they got to sit in the full-size metal folding adult chairs in the back row. And the envy of everybody still in their single digits. And week after week, this little old lady, Mrs. Barsoon, in her polyester, colorful 1970s mm. dresses. Yes. She was great. 
she would tell us stories and she would sit in front, she's this tiny little old lady and she would sit in front of this group of kids and she would tell us stories from the Bible about David and Goliath and Noah's Ark and the Exodus from Egypt and Jesus feeding the 5,000 and walking on the water and going to the cross for our sins. And every week after she finished her story, without fail, she would talk about how Jesus invited the children to him. And then she would ask if there were any of us children there who would want to invite Jesus into our heart and be saved. And I remember the week where with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I felt this irresistible urge as a small child to raise my hand and say, yes, I wanted that. And as the rest of the class was dismissed, I stayed after and I went up and I sat on Mrs. Barsoon's tiny little lap. I don't know how I didn't break her. Um, And I prayed with her. What I would learn later was called the sinner's prayer, where I admitted that I was a sinner. And if you know any six-year-olds, you know that that is not a far stretch, okay? (laughs) Happens early. And I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I was now saved, and I would not go to hell, but would go to heaven. And for a long time, that was my full understanding of salvation. That salvation was one moment in time where I made a decision that would get me my ticket into heaven. And there's, there's a lot of you, I know in here, because I know many of your stories that are a lot like that. You've grown up in the church. Uh, you've sat next to Sunday school teachers. You've made decisions to follow Jesus and ask him into your heart, whatever that means. And, and, and that has been a big step for you, a real step for you. But if you're like me, you didn't have that. You weren't immersed in the Christian culture, and so there was no blue carpets going downstairs to any really fun time with kids. Instead, you just kind of were like, if there's a heaven, I'm at least not as bad as those guys, so maybe I'll get there. That may be your theology today. Or potentially you've been told by priests or pastors that uh, you've kind of gone through a list of sacraments, whether baptism or communion or confirmation, and because of that, you have your ticket to heaven. Or... Maybe some of you have confused legalism and the law with the gospel. We can talk about that a little bit later. But you've constructed your own list of commandments in your head that if you check all of these boxes, then, and only then, will you be right with God and saved. The reality is that salvation and judgment, it's just confusing. Jesus comes onto the scene with all of our preconceived conditions of what it means to be saved, and he just flips the script right away. For one guy, he looks at him and says, you want to be saved? Go sell all your stuff. For another, he heals him physically and then talks about the forgiveness of his sins. Some are saved merely because they are six and seven years old. And Jesus looks at a crowd and says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to these. For others, he says, they must be born again, not a natural birth, but a spiritual one. And now he adds another level to the confusion by wrapping our judgment or our salvation around this principle of radical generosity. He says, for those that are sheep, they are with the king. They are part of the kingdom. They've done the right thing for the least of these. And in some mysterious way, as they've done the right thing for the least of these, it has transferred to some supernatural experience with me, the king. For those that are goats, different than LeBron James. That wasn't funny. You don't need to laugh at Funny jokes. They got it wrong. The goat has got it wrong. They will miss out on the kingdom. And somehow, because of their functions in this world, 
they have disconnected themselves from the king in that kingdom. And what we do know about salvation from this teaching is that it is given from the shepherd to the sheep. And there's a freedom of being united with the shepherd, of being united with the king in this intimate communion, a communion that the shepherd to the sheep, he's, he's leading the sheep to free pastures. He's giving them his provision and protection from their enemies. It's a full life. And for us, that translates to, to being with the king, being protected and being provided for this full life with him forever. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be questioning whether or not I'm secure. I want to be done feeling stuck. I want to be done questioning whether or not I'm alone for life, whether worrying about whether or not I'm going to have enough. I want a shepherd to give me that type of salvific life that he gives to the sheep. And so according to this passage, it means that I need to understand what it means to be a sheep. I need to, I need to live like a sheep. There actually, I'm, you know, this is all the throwbacks to me growing up. There was this song and it was like, I just want to be a sheep. And we would go, ba, 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 ba. I don't, it gets worse than that. I'll stop there. I really hope as you're trying to fall asleep tonight, you just picture us. Ba, 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 ba. It's weird. A bunch of different levels. <laughs> be a sheep, then show me the way. I want that. I want that type of salvation of a free life, of a full life, of a life that is provided for and protected and connected. I want that, and you want that. So this teaching begs us to ask the question, well, what is the generous way of the sheep? Yeah, and what's the difference between the way of the sheep and the way of the goat? So first you see this in the scripture. The way of the goat has to do with charity. Way of the sheep has to do with proximity. Those are two very different things. The scripture says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. You clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you actually came to visit me. This, this is a passage of proximity. These are all verbs that demand our closeness with other people. Proximity is important. Here's why. Because most of us who live in the United States, and yes, I'm going to bring nations into it because this passage is actually about dividing nations, not just individuals. This is important to the United States because we largely have the ability to remain distant from other pain, others' hurts, others' trauma, hunger, and distress while still being able to be somewhat charitable. Almost all of us in this room, even those who are under-resourced, have the ability to be somewhat charitable on some type of level and still remain distant from other people's pain, hurt, trauma, and distress. We can send a check. We can turn off the television when the news about Syria or the latest images of a father and child drowning in their attempts to get in the United States becomes too overwhelming. We can turn it off. We have that privilege. We can drop bags of clothes off at Salvation Army without ever having to clothe one person. And the principle of proximity, it, differenti it differentiates Christianity from other worldviews. I mean, outside of the fact that God doesn't wait at a distance for us to get it right and instead comes close to us in proximity, for many worldviews, we're given, um, Islam is a, a great, a great example of this. They're given benchmarks of charity. If you can give 
X amount or this percentage of your income, you have access, or at least it's a step to having access to salvation and rightness with God. But Jesus comes into the world and questions the charity of religious leaders and instead says, if you are actually going to follow me, you need to draw close to the least of these, those that are like me. And here's why. Because this kingdom isn't first and foremost about charitable impact. In fact, again and again, Jesus seems to suggest that the most kingdom impact will happen when we focus less on impact for the king and more on intimacy with the king. Drawing close, this is so important, drawing close to those on the margins, it actually begins to change us. Drawing close to the prisoner, drawing close to the smelly train car, drawing close to those that actually are wearing the same outfits day in and day out, it draws us close to Him. It begins to change us because that's where the presence of God is. Jesus says he's with those in need. And so when we link our lives to those in need, we often over time, and here's what you see in this transformative way, we often over time slowly but surely become those in need as well. It's interesting. I was just thinking... Chris, who's up there playing synth this morning, he said we were talking about the heat and how discomfort, actually, when we're in high levels of discomfort, it brings out, you know, our true self. (laughs) And uh, we were saying our true selves were on display earlier as it was warm in here. You know, but I think about, some of you know our story and that for whatever reason, we've stepped into some of these places where it's what is talked about here. People who need homes, people need, who need shelter, who have come in, into our home. And so we've stepped into foster care and adoption. And a lot of times we're hesitant to talk about that because it can be like, okay, you are just weirdos and we can't get that. And you're setting, you know, the bar way too high. And people will be like, I don't know how you do it. You're such heroes. And I'm like, no, what, what I have experienced as I've drawn close to those in need is how much I need a savior. And how much it is that I actually can't be the Savior. How much more it is that I actually am a sheep. How much I need someone to shepherd me and to take me to places where I can be provided for and shown the way because I can't figure it out on my own. So often when we isolate ourselves and we, and we put this line between those who are in need and ourselves, we have this false understanding that we can do it by ourselves. And I'm here to say that when you start to get close to those in need, who are clearly in need, you start recognizing how much need you have of your own. It has been true over and over in our marriage, in our family. As we've drawn closer to those who are in need, we've realized how much more we need a Savior. So for most of us, we can give some type of charitable donation. That's doable. But proximity eventually puts us in the same dependent position that the least of these are in. It sets us up for God's salvation. Man, man, I said it, but when we started to foster and adopt children who had gone through trauma, our bad parenting all of a sudden is on display. We see it more clearly than ever. We see our brokenness, our flaws, our failures, and all of a sudden as we've drawn close, we go, oh no, we're in need. That's why we talk about giving here. It's why we adhere to the tithe and asking people as you become part of the community to give 10% of your resources. 
Not because we think that God needs your money, not because we think that the mission of God in this city won't happen if you don't give, but because we actually want you to put yourself in a place of full dependency where you need the same way that other people do, regardless of whether or not you're bringing in a million or 20,000 a year. The way of the goat is charity. The way of the sheep is proximity. Second difference we see between the sheep and the goat is that the way of the goat is to act charitably to get the things of God, whereas the way of the sheep is to draw close to the margins to get God. It has to do with our motive. In verse 37, it says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it ironic that the sheep often don't even know that they're the sheep? When did we see you, Lord? What? We didn't even realize because we were just doing what it is we were made to do. It speaks volumes about what their motive is and what it isn't. Goats might do the right thing, but they're looking over their shoulder the whole time. Like, you see that? See what I did there? Bless me. Bless me. I don't know if you've ever found yourself buying flowers for somebody because you wanted to be viewed as a great guy. But it's really important. It's very possible to do the right things with wrong motives. I don't know if you've ever seen yourself engage in parenting techniques solely because you want to be viewed as a good mother, but it's clearly possible to do really good things in the really wrong way. I know that there have been days where I do nice things for Amanda, and if I'm really honest, which usually I'm not, but if I'm really, really honest... It's not out of this natural overflow of affection for her in that moment. A lot of times I just know that if I clean the kitchen and let her sleep in, she might actually let me run my day the way that I want to run my day and not bother me. Just write it down, guys. Write it down. Be aware. Uh, But honestly, it is completely possible to do really good things in the wrong way. We do good things all the time with the wrong motive. This was the way of the elder brother in the prodigal son's parable. It was the way of Pharisees who were charitable and, and, and with the intent of being noticed in the temple courts, but would pass by the person in pain on Sabbath out in the countryside. It's the way of many people in this city. The goat has a list. The goat check off boxes in hopes of gaining God's protection, God's inheritance, God's salvation, God's blessing. They do things to get the things of God. But if God is actually like Jesus... We say he is Jesus. But if he's like Jesus, then God is not a transactional God who waits to be paid in behavioral dollar bills before he gives you some extent of his love, but instead is looking for union and relationship and affection and proximity. You see, the way of the sheep is different. Sheep follow the shepherd. They go to where the shepherd is. And this passage is the roadmap to Jesus' radical love. You want to find Jesus? If you are honestly here today going, I haven't really felt Jesus. I don't know where Jesus is. I want to experience God. If you want to find Jesus, this is the roadmap. Go where Jesus is. Where is Jesus? He's on the margins of society with those who need him. This is why Jesus 
his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to how he starts this out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The way of the sheep is proximity. And when you spend lots of time with people who are in need, you spend time with Jesus. You begin to do the things that Jesus does. You give, you clothe, you meet the needs of those who can't meet their needs themselves. Is it intentional and effort-filled to follow Jesus? Yes. But is it intentional and effort-filled for spiritual fruit or the things of Jesus to come out of you? No, it just happens. It's like a tree outside doesn't go, I'm going to make lemons. No, it positions itself in a place with the correct soil and sunlight and water and lemons come forth. And so for us, this is a passage where our proximity and our motive of just being where Jesus says, this is where I am. I'm on the margins. I'm with those in need. We start positioning ourselves there and the spiritual fruit will start coming out of us. That's all about motive. Which is why earlier on in Matthew 6, Jesus says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. That's truly, I tell you, you've received the reward to the full, but when you give to the needy, this is the whole left hand, right hand stuff, right? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. This is, this is Jesus going, if you draw close, you will be transformed in a way where all of a sudden the goodness and grace of God pours forth from you without any tr- tr- attempt and effort to do so. Doing the stuff of Jesus is the natural outcome of those who've spent time with Jesus. It just happens. And so for me as a pastor, I dream of the day. I, re- I really do. I dream of the day that you stand before God and go, wait a minute, what? when did I change that person's life? Oh, wait a minute. When did I radically change the trajectory of that family? Oh, hold on. When did I help lead a nation to experience God's grace? Or when did I change the political culture of this country? I don't understand where this is coming from. Because you just won't know because that's just clearly what comes out of you when you're in close proximity to the presence of God. That's what I long for. So, the way of the goat... Is charity, but the way of the sheep is proximity. The way of the goat, their motive is to act charitably, to get the things of God. The way of the sheep is to draw close to those on the margins to get God. And the last difference between the sheep and the goat that we're talking about is what is it that we're looking for? This is about our vision, our proximity, motive, and vision. So then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry And you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Lord, when did, when did we see you? I didn't see you anywhere. People talk a good game sometimes about what it means to mature spiritually. If we're giving more, 
then we're maturing spiritually. If we are attending more church services or small groups or events, then we must be maturing more spiritually. If we're retaining more theological, spiritual words, this is a big one, especially in a place like New York where intellect is so important, right? We want to be the smartest out there. Then you're maturing spiritually. But what if our spiritual maturation has more to do with our vision and what it is that we're seeing around us than it has to do with anything else? I think this is why Paul prays. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, that we would begin to see the world as God sees. Second Corinthians says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So much of this salvation that Jesus speaks of has to do with what it is we see, what it is we're looking at. The way of the goat looks at their work. Look, see, see the things I did. I, I did these things. I didn't see you there, Jesus, but I, I did these things. Whereas the way of the sheep is looking for where Jesus is working. It's looking for where God is already moving and it's going to him there. Which is somewhat unfortunate for this context because in New York, uh, we may be one of the worst at vision and potentially hearing. Which are, which are listening, listening and seeing aren't our strong suits in this city. And too many of us are, are fixated staring at our pasts, which are either regret or shame, or we're overly concentrated on our future, which usually produces worry or anxiety. That's what the phone does to us. It's what social media flings us into. And because of that, we rarely see what is around us in the present. Where around you right now in life is somebody who actually needs clothes? This is about as practical and straightforward as it gets. Like, who do you see on the block that is wearing the same thing day in and day out? Who needs a meal? Who needs water? Who needs a visit? And then here's the question that just cuts to the heart. Why don't we step into that? Is it because we're too busy? Is it because we think we may offend them if we ask to give any of those things? Is it because we're too often in the office at work that we don't even have the space and time to take a 15-minute stroll around our neighborhood, wherever it may be, to actually see? Is it because you think that the government assistance that person may be on is enough to cover all that they need? It's just laziness that they don't cover it? What do you see? Why aren't you stepping into it? I'll tell you right now, I have been convicted in the process of starting this second church in Sunnyside. It's going so well. You can clearly see that Jesus is leading this process. We are joining him. I will tell you that I've been so convicted because in the process of starting a second church and already talking with another leader about starting a third, I have not sat down with our leadership community to go, hey, what would it look like to actually start a community or a church inside of Kohler Hospital? I just need to repent of it. Are we too stuck on our phones 
linked into our earbuds and cell phone games to keep us from seeing the same people on the train that ride in the same car as us day in and day out. I remember Isaiah. He he still does this. Every once in a while, my son Isaiah, who's 12, he'll come to me and ask for extra granola bars. And he does that because Isaiah likes to find people that are in need or asking for something and stop and give them a granola bar, a little chewy, and and have a quick conversation with him. And I remember the first time at 10 that Isaiah came to me and said, Dad, we're going on our way to therapy today. I've been seeing this lady. Can I have some granola bars? And I looked at him and I was like, hey, bud, there's this, there's, there's some mental illness that you got to... And I started catching myself tempering this 10-year-old's desire to step into the salvific presence and power of Jesus. You got guys like my friend Dale Pittman who's just outfitted two trailers with showers so that he can drive to the place in the city that he lives in where he knows there are people who need to have their dignity affirmed in their cleanliness day in and day out. Or Rick, one of our guys who just started coming here who who shows up at the end of service last week and says, I have a guy who has a mobile uh, medical clinic. Would it be all right to bring it here one day? I know some people that could use it. Or Hewan and Johan, who are part of our church here, who, who mobilize you know, artists from South Korea and Paris and, and New York to go to a little village in Kenya where they empower young women and girls in the arts. These are people that are seen. Where is Jesus at work? God will always be at work with the needy. Why? Because that's who he is. He's a salvific king who only reigns among those who actually need his saving power. So we have to see it and we have to move there because that's where he actually is. Our salvation is tied to a different kind of generosity. It's a generosity that's rooted in proximity and motive and vision. And so the question for us is, do we really want to become a sheep of a shepherd? Because when you start to actually go to the margins and invest time in people and learn from people that and, and visit the prison regularly, it is not easy. It takes away from your effectiveness at your job. It takes from your bank account. It is not easy at all, but it's good. And so we end with communion today in Isaiah 53, which says, we all like sheep. This is a prophecy from the man Isaiah who is talking about the lamb who is to come. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Is Matthew 25 type of life, the way of the sheep is not easy, but it's good. And the motivating force behind it all is that this is God. God becomes the lamb for all. So that we might choose the way of the sheep. God says, I'm done with you guessing what I'm like. I'm done with you guessing whether or not I should be held responsible for that war or this crime. 
And so I'm coming to show you exactly what I'm like. And he comes into the world as Jesus in the flesh. He says, this is who I am. This is the fullness and the depth and breadth of love that I have for you. And he lives this electric life with counterintuitive teachings. He empowers those on the margins, empowers prisoners with his spirit, empowers people that have no food and no clothes. He does things that every religious elite was not doing at that point in time. And then the shame and the guilt and the fear and the anger and the power hunger of man takes over and drags him to the cross of Calvary. This is part of our story. If this is real, this is part of our story. Human beings have played a massive central role in pulling God in flesh to the cross of Calvary because we wanted a God that could give vengeance and we wanted a God that could give justice and we got, wanted a God that would act violently on our behalf and we didn't get it. We got this Palestinian Jewish rabbi. And so we, a part of our story is dragging him to the cross as the sacrificial lamb that was broken for the wholeness of the world, whose blood was shed out for the forgiveness of all sins, so that he might be able to defeat death and look us square in the face and say, I still love you, and this is how much I'm willing to go after you. When that starts to hit you here, you choose the narrow road with the narrow gate. You'll say enough to the broad road and the broad gate that leads to the center of the city of the empire. Instead, you'll find the narrow gate and the narrow roads that carve through paths and back alleys into East New York. And you'll be close because that's where he is and that's where it's best to be. Let me pray for us. God, we are grateful for your love. We're grateful for your goodness and the way that you choose time and time again to sit with those in need. And so as a people in the middle of Manhattan right now, knowing that there are some of us in here that are living below the poverty line, but most who now are not. We want to do everything to reposition our lives into a place and posture of neediness so that we experience your presence and your salvific power. God, we choose you. We take our resources. We take our energy. We take our time. We take the apartments that you've given us and we move them to you. We put them under your lordship so that we might be in need of your grace and your power. We choose the generous way of the sheep, God, so we can be with you, the shepherd, who leads us to space and freedom. You are what we long for. We are what we want. And so we repent of all of the different ways that we've held on to our own stuff and our own energy. And we ask that compelled by your love, seen on the cross as the sacrificial lamb, we would choose the way of the Lamb, the way of the sheep. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray these things and all these people said, Amen.